0: Welcome, I'm Anna Ginja, your host of The Anna Ginja Show. I'm an international adoptee who has experienced the pain of rejection and the peace that comes along with self-discovery and acceptance. Along the way, I've discovered that I am not alone. In some ways, we are all adopted into or out of homes, cultures, communities, and relationships as we grow and evolve. These experiences create who we are and who we are yet to be. Let's discover how we can be and become our best selves by connecting to the guest and creative content cradled in the belief that we belong, that we are worthy, and that we are loved in this world. So stay tuned and you may discover your own adoption story. Our guest today is Jill Wells, who joins us as an Iowa-based artist, advocate, and mentor Jill has firmly situated herself within art and advocacy work, a 2005 graduate of Drake University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. She is well known in Iowa and beyond for her dynamic, colorful, and tactile multimedia works investigating race, history, stereotypes, accessibility, and human experiences. So welcome, Jill. And I gave you a little bit of background about who you are, but what would you like our listeners to know about you?
1: Well, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Um, oh, goodness. I feel like maybe fun fact, I usually start with that I grew up in Indianola, Iowa, and maybe a lot or a little bit of what I'll be sharing today or that might be connected to our conversation will be from that history and that time and space in my life.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to start with, um, because I'm going to go back to that fun fact first uh, in a second, but I want to talk a little bit about our introduction, and the person that helped me shape this introduction is another Iowa artist named Akwi Ninji, and Mm. so she talked a little bit about my story, and, and as I was trying to come up with the intro, she talked about how She said, what you're really talking about is that we all experience adoption and we actively choose the people, values, and experiences that create who we are. And so I love the thought and how she was able to articulate it for me about how really the the show is about adoption and foster care stories, but how it's connected to um, our origin stories in many ways. So as an adoptee, the beginning act is of abandonment and or rejection. Um, and how do we navigate through that? So what is your response to the thought about all of us experience adoption in our lives?
1: Well, I would agree with Aqui and with your statement. I think that's really beautifully and eloquently stated. And I can relate to that in several ways. Um, so a little bit of self-disclosure. I lost my father when I was about two years old. He passed away. And my maternal grandfather is someone that i've always described as like my father and the way that he was who really truly was present in my life helped raise me uh, made sure that i had and my siblings had everything that we needed when it came to life lessons um, teaching us how to navigate certain situations in life how to build and construct things how to take care of a car make sure I got through college Um, and just was there every stage milestone and point in my life and sometimes when I describe him to folks and I use that term um, some questions come up (laughs) that might be in line with that description and so that's the first thing that comes to my mind when you uh, share that statement.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, um, sharing that. I also think I'm going to go back to Indianola, Iowa, and also how you came to be um, here with us today. So yesterday, and I've known you because I lived in Iowa, returned to my home state back in 2018, started a um, radio show with KHOI. And you have been a guest on the show a couple of times, and also on Local Talk, which is the news program. And I was familiar with your work. I went to your website many times. And we've had conversation, especially connected to my previous job, which was serving as executive director of ABLE Up Iowa, which worked with people with disabilities. And so your art that's tied to um, advocacy work around disability was of particular interest to me at that time. And so fast forward, I I moved to from Iowa to Ohio, invited you to be on the um, guest on the local talk show yesterday, which I continue to volunteer as a host once a month. And then because I didn't have uh, an opening for an interview today, I just asked you because one of the things that I do with the Anna Ginger Show is to have these creative interchanges that help us um, think about our stories in new ways. But I thought, I better do a little bit more research because I want to have a meaningful conversation and realized I had just hit the surface about who you are, um, to learn that you actually have, uh, an adopted child reminded again, our connection to Indianola. So I think about that, that surface level of knowing people and then finding out their stories about and finding all those ways that we have connected. And one of the things I thought was interesting about reading about your piece, um, which is Black Thread, is that you talked about how all the things about growing up in Indianola, what it was like and about growing up in Iowa. So I'm going to start there, and then I want to talk a little bit about family, but, but let's start with place, with Indianola. What was it mm-hmm. like for you being in Indi- in Indianola, Iowa?
1: You know, it was a little bit of a double-edged sword, and I felt like it was a safe environment to grow up, um, and you could, like, leave your bike uh-huh. in someone's yard and like you come back a couple of days later and it was probably there I could ride across town really easily get to anyone's house Um, so I just felt like it was you know relatively safe and lots of other youth my age you know to grow up with the flip side to that is that to this day and even then so I was born in 1980 grew up in like 80s and 90s in Indianola um, is that it's just not diverse Mm -hmm. and it was really interesting because when I was younger probably like adolescence early teens um, I I wasn't I didn't experience like racial slurs being a biracial or BIPOC individual Um, I experienced a lot of microaggressions and at that time I just knew it was offensive, but I didn't know what the word was. So when, you know, other youth would be like, why do you sound white? Mm. (laughs) Those types of things are what I grew up with. And not having any diverse folks really around me to have these conversations with or to ask, like, hey, have you experienced this? Or like, why do they think that? Or what does that mean? And not having my father around, which is the African-American side, to uh, my background, my mother's German, and so I I just, I, I I didn't have any real context for like what that was that I was experiencing. I just knew I was experiencing something on the opposite side of the coin, um, and so I felt ignorant growing up. I felt like, I know I'm missing something, but I don't really know what that is, and there's not anyone around that really looks like me, and I don't really, and I kind of experienced that as well, like not feeling like I physically looked like or fit in um, and having to try to adapt to that and making like certain conscious decisions. Like if my hair is less this way, then maybe I won't get looked at a certain way. Um, it's just things like that. It it wasn't super harsh. It was just, like I said, microaggression. So kind of underhand. And then when I we eventually met, left... Indianola. um, I went to Drake University and there I immersed myself through um, my studies in art in African-American history and that became the thesis work to like your senior exhibition um, is what you do. And so I spent four years studying that for like the first time in my life and being around a little bit more of a diverse population in Des Moines and then things just started to click. So it Indianola was is kind of like I said a double-edged sword growing up. That was pretty much my experience. Um, I think it is really those experiences led to why I investigate social issues within my work to this day.
0: Yeah, well, and when I was reading the article, um, I loved what you talked about. There was no talk about the beauty of blackness of the history of all these things that have intentionally been erased. Or this whole lack of not only knowledge but also representation and then also when you were talking about um, studying at Drake that you were first able to indulge an appetite for a cultural past that you've been deprived of and I think about I mean I pretty much grew up in Indianola and Des Moines and felt the same thing Where there's a lot of um, there were some racial um, I don't know, I guess, discord in the schools. And my sister and I talk about that in our social issues class. But I think at the same time, the same experience, like you could run around the square, you could go into the sundry and get a green river and be fine. And everybody knew that I was part of my stepmom's family in Indianola. Um, And so I would have my stepbrother defend me if something happened or there was an incident or something said to me. But it is this weird um, experience to grow up feeling Disconnected and connected at the same time.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. That's really well put.
0: Yeah, and so I think, and I love how you talk about those experiences inform your work as an artist. And that's certainly, when you visit your website and see your pieces, that it, it's quite evident. So when you when you gra- after you graduated from Drake, what what happens, and what are you passionate about and pursuing?
1: You know, it was interesting because I didn't go directly into uh, fine arts postgraduate. I didn't even, I, I taught a little bit at an after-school arts program, which is um, ASAP. I serve on the board there to this day, but I didn't really feel like I knew how to build an art career. So I eventually became a substance use counselor for the state of Iowa. And when you started off with that statement um, where you and Akwe were identifying our family, that's something that came up actually a lot in the counseling seat when we talked about not only boundary setting but about who is family and um so that's another reason why that statement really resonated with me so i was in the counseling seat for eight years i started in adult services residential and i was there for five with the company at the time that was um, based out of Adair and Baird so I traveled a lot for work and then eventually um, I transitioned into youth services working for an organization in Des Moines where most of the youth were juvenile court ordered to treatment and I just fell in love with working with youth and in the counseling seat and I honestly thought that I would retire in that field. I had found By that point, after eight years, a little bit of a mix of how to integrate art into counseling, I'm not an art therapist by any means. Um, I drew from my background and my knowledge though from uh, my studies at Drake to use art as a tool non-verbally to break through some barriers and as a great activity to help manage stress, anxiety, Um, it just, a huge advocate as, as art as a therapeutic tool despite that I'm not an art therapist um, and then the pandemic hit and just some things I experienced from telehealth services uh, that I didn't anticipate it was really really hard to watch the individuals I was working with like on a computer screen suffering and not be able to sit in the same room with them and and then, of course, like many of us, we were watching this like ticker number on a TV screen of, um, you know, like <laughs> folks passing away and just seeing that number every day was very triggering. And at the same time, it made me look at my own mortality. And so I started to assess what I was willing to live with. And I thought that's a regret I don't want to have Um I don't wanna look back and say that I never pursued this other passion of mine. So I made the decision to, in the middle of a pandemic, quit my job and pursue art full-time.
0: Wow, that's huge.
1: (laughs) So that's what happened after I graduated from college. That's like the long and short of it.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Well, in 2022, you gave a a Des Moines TEDx talk about your first uh, piece of public art when you were 19. Um, Would you mind sharing a little bit about that piece?
1: Yes, that mural is the first mural I ever did. It's entitled Running Out of Time. It's located inside um, Creative Vision's Human Development Center uh, off of Forest in Des Moines. And it's what I had actually used that piece of work to apply for art college at Drake. I was working on it and really proud of it and kept asking my mom to come down and take a look at it. And she kept saying, well, when it's done, I'll come take a look. And so when she did, we were standing underneath um, the mural, talking about, um, you know, everything about the process and what the mural means. And finally, I feel like when she thought we were at a, a certain point, she says to me that this is Jill. This is where the same place where your father passed away many, many years before it was um, what it is today. It I think it was like an old pool hall or something. Um, and he'd gone out one night with some friends. He was 22, so <laughs> extremely young man. Yeah. And some, some sort of um, altercation took place, and um, he just happened to be in the middle of it and ended up losing his life. He was shot. So I didn't know that's where he had passed away. I just knew a little bit of the story about how he passed away. And so to standing on the ground of where that really traumatic event took place not only in his lives but all of our families lives to lose a child and to think that and it gives me goosebumps to this day that unknowingly I returned to that same space you know as a almost 20 year old person so you know like 18 years later um, to create something very positive in a place where something really negative happened to this day, I I still have a hard time wrapping my mind around it, and I don't know if I ever will. Um, but I I take that to heart every time I share that story, and every time I think about that. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's 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 pretty wild.
0: When I think about how, too, for there are so many stories of adoptees that have shared their story through the show about truth and finding out the truth about. Things that have happened in their life and how that informs who they are, and at some cell- cellular level, sometimes they know and sometimes they don't. And when they're confronted with the truth, then what do you do with that information? Um, because that's a pretty big piece of information. Um, and so, how has that changed you, or has it? Um, how has it changed you?
1: You know. I don't know if I could articulate that right now, to be honest. Um, You know, in the moment, it felt like, I think maybe it feels like the same today. I don't even really know what to do with that. Um, It's very special to me to, I think that would be a good word to describe um, what, what that was what that experience was, um, to, to be there in that place. Um, so uh, yeah, I I think maybe I'll leave it at that. It's, it's very special, but I don't really know how to articulate it.
0: Yeah. I think, um, as I've been able to get to know your story and I think about how important butterflies are to you and your work tied to transformation. And I think about, um, and again, why I do the show when I, and I want to be able to include artists into the conversations about how we think about our stories, because I think about the transformation and how you took something that was painful and transformed it into something beautiful and also meaningful. Um, I think that is a theme in your work.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Um, and I think it's probably there's I'm guessing I'm not a therapist, but I'm thinking there's probably a, a connection there. <laughs> Um, and thank you for sharing that with our listeners, that, that story.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for asking. Well, And thank you for making space for that. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's just so profound because I think, again, going back to these creative interchanges and as our dean here at Ohio University for the College of Fine Arts talks about these creative collisions and sometimes I think about that um, collision seems really violent in some ways, where we're taking these art forms and then colliding them with our stories to come up with something new. And you think about how a butterfly transforms and how the um, caterpillar will beat their wings to be able to create transformation. I think that's a lot of what we do. And I know for me, you know, it wasn't until I started... Um, doing this podcast about adoption and foster care that I even wrestled with my own story because I didn't want to know the truth. I didn't want to talk about things that were painful to me um, growing up in Iowa and feeling different and separate. Um, and so it takes these kind of experiences to be able to um, think about our stories in, in our own in a way which that's yeah. very articulate. But one of the things when, when we come to this Creative Collisions One of the things that I do is to ask a songwriter or a musician, oh yeah, same thing. I need more coffee. And you saw this on Monday. You saw this on Monday. Where I am like, use your words, Anna, but a musician or a poet to bring either a poem or a song to be able to interact with the guest and their story and the themes that we talk about. What we're going to do for your show, which is different, is. Before we air the show, we're going to ask our listeners to visit your website to learn more about a piece titled Black Thread, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how that's tied to family and about how um, abro- how you talk about how this sparks a broader conversation about access to quality, diversity, and inclusion. So let's talk a little bit about um, this piece, which is, if you go to the website, too, there's a video. Um, that talks about the piece that, and you can see it in um, in all of us. But I'm going to let you talk about it.
1: Yeah. So, um, Black Thread presents the journey and geography of a time period in American history known as the Great Migration, and so that's from roughly 1910 to 1970, when approximately um, like six million formerly enslaved African Americans migrated from the South to uh, the Northeast, the Midwest and the West. And there's a lot of reasons why um, that happened, which I won't get into uh, right now. The piece though, that I'll kind of visually describe uh, is a big part of that work is a 1958 Kenmore sewing machine. So um, it's a convertible sewing machine. It, collapses inside of itself the actual sewing machine will fold in and then the sides of the table will collapse over top of the sewing machine so it it looks like a flat desk and it's this kind of like ochery color or was originally like a 19 you know like it says 58 but i always think of like the color that oak is like a 70s kind of ochre um and then when you open it up, it transforms. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to use it. But more importantly, it's my maternal grandmother sewing machine. So this piece in the space with the exhibition is centered typically. So in a space with four walls, it sits in the center and then we have thousands of black butterflies that are moving towards it across those four walls. And those butterflies actually mirror the migratory patterns of those formerly enslaved individuals. So if you look at a map of the Great Migration, they have these kind of generic pathways um, that folks traveled from the South to the Northeast, the Midwest or the West. So those butterflies follow those arcs or those straight lines. um, And the black butterfly Is a metaphor for black bodies in motion and so they're all moving across these walls and then they all converge into the center point which is this sewing machine which again talks a little bit about one of the reasons or a big reason depending on someone's perspective of why individuals left the South or one of the reasons for me why they left the South which is this economy um, US economy and the, the need for black bodies to be working Um, and so that's why they're kind of all converging around that to hopefully start to get one to think about like why are they all gathering around this sewing machine it's a um, it's an industrial piece of equipment Um, it's really heavy it's man-made it's part of my family so my grandmother would let me play on this when i was young growing up in indianola and she would tell me all these stories connected to this sewing machine about how she would make clothes for her friends um in wisconsin and for herself and that's kind of like what people came to know her for um and so that's kind of visually what it looks like and then i transformed it from that ochre color So with just black on black on black and then draped over top of the sewing machine and kind of pushed underneath the presser foot is a combination of the african-american flag um, and that's a by david hammonds and then the black and white american flag so i took these two flags deconstructed them and then reconstructed them together kind of wove them together and that is to hopefully get one to think about um, African Americans contribution to the United States of America the weaving of our history and that African American history is American history so that's kind of visually what it looks like but the sewing machine in particular literally is part of my family and there's just a lot of history that's connected to my family from that piece of equipment in that tool, but then also a larger conversation connected to American history.
0: Yeah, I mean, so many connections. So my mom and my stepmom both have sewing machines. My mom gave me her first Elna, which is a Swiss-made sewing machine. Now, I was never good at it, um, but I was (laughs) very honored to have the piece. And I know in 2022 you talked about this project and about how you were hoping that the work fills in gaps of your own past that hasn't that has was not explained before so fast forward to uh, to 2023 has it filled in some of those gaps for you as far as learning about your story and your absolutely. family absolutely
1: mm-hmm. yeah i without this project without black thread i would have honestly never well i don't want to say never i i had been very hesitant to tap into learning more about you know my ancestral ties um to certain like places and spaces and times because they just brought up a lot of the fear of like um and that's just i think from the past just losing my father really really early i i just thought well if i if i tap into this and start to dig into this it's just going to bring up all this you know baggage and I'm going to have to unpack suitcases. I don't know if I want to unpack those things. Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, also speaks to the power of art. And I'll just say in my life, it was always the safe place for me to really explore uncomfortable topics. So I thought, would that be the case for other people, too?
0: I just want to give a heartfelt thanks to you, Jill, for spending time with us and sharing your story and your creative talent with us. And um, as always, thank you to Adam Rich with WAB for engineering and editing today's program. Our subject matter expert is Dr. Melissa Rizzo. Our storytelling uh, consultant is Zoe Lambert. Our creative and editing team includes Maddie, Maya, Alexa, Linnea, and and Mark. And our music producer is Nick Kuzernas, who has been writing genre-twisting songs for over 30 years, including this show's theme song, Way to Me. And I am your host, Anna Ginger, signing off with a reminder that the key to unlocking all things good in this world is love. Here you are loved and you are home. Always a friend and fan, this is Anna Ginger wishing you days filled with love, laughter, and peace.